Good morning, Southwinds. I hope you have your Bibles open to Matthew 6, where we'll be studying today. Something is happening today that has never happened before in the history of Southwinds Church. You're listening to a message recorded outside of Tracy. In fact, I'm not in California. I'm sharing God's word with you today from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, from the home where my in-laws have lived for almost 33 years. Most of you know that Dana has been here for over a month helping to care for her parents who came down with COVID-19 in June. Two weeks ago, as I shared with you, Dana's dad went home to be with the Lord. And last week, Dana's mom was released from the hospital. Dana also has tested positive, but by God's grace has only had very mild symptoms, which are now gone. I flew out here a few days ago to help. We're so grateful for all of your prayers and your calls and your emails, and I hope you will keep praying for full recovery and for protection of our health. This is week two of our teaching series, Living on a Prayer. And last week we started studying the most famous prayer in the history of the world, the Lord's Prayer. We're working through this prayer one line at a time, learning from the master teacher Jesus how to pray. Now, this prayer is very brief, only 57 words in the original Greek text but we find a universe of truth in Jesus' words. I want you to listen again to verses nine and 10, which make up the first sentence of the Lord's Prayer. We studied the first half of this sentence, verse nine last week, and we'll be looking at the second half, verse 10 today. Let me read it to you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, everyone wants to do something great with their lives. And for one Florida man, building one of the world's greatest timeshare empires wasn't enough. He set out to build the largest home in America. In 2004, David Siegel began building a 90,000 square foot home modeled after the Palace of Versailles in France. It's still under construction. This 90,000 square foot home has 14 bedrooms, 11 kitchens, 30 bathrooms, a 20 car garage, five swimming pools, a bowling alley, a theater, an arcade, and a 10,000 square foot spa. Someone asked him why he was building such an enormous house and he said, because I can. What we see here is a man trying to express his power, to extend his domain, to exert his sovereignty deep down He's trying to build a kingdom. Now we might think that's ridiculous. I'd never do that. But if we're honest with ourselves, don't we have to admit that we're all building kingdoms? You know, it's obvious with some people who explicitly strive for wealth and power and influence, and it's not so obvious with others of us who quietly work and scheme and manipulate to get our own way to control our own lives. We're all building houses. And when Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he doesn't simply offer us another pious prayer to tack onto our spiritual house. He flips the house upside down. In the second request of the Lord's Prayer, he gives us a whole new framework for prayer. And what Jesus is telling us is that God's kingdom, which is up there, must be the focus of our praying down here. You could say that the heart of this request is expressed in the title I've given this message, up there, down here. Now, here's the reality that this request confronts. Everyone has a kingdom. You have one, I have one. Whether you know it or not, you have a kingdom. 
And when we speak of kingdom, we're speaking of a domain of authority. You have a certain degree of authority that's been given to you, and you exercise that authority in a particular domain. You might have a large kingdom. It could be a lot of authority. You might have many people that you lead at your company, for example, or it might be small. Maybe you don't have much at all, but you at least have a body. So you're in possession of a particular domain in space and realm, and every act of your will is an exercise of that authority. We all do. Now, when the Bible refers to the kingdom of God, it's referring to God's domain, his realm of authority, his right to rule. Our domain is limited, but God's domain is universal. God's domain is ultimate. As Psalm 103, 19 says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. God has ultimate authority and no one tells him what to do. There are no limits to his authority. No, no one uh, can constrain his authority. And his authority, it flows from a heart that always makes good decisions and, and just choices. God always thinks the right things, always does good things. God is always good and always fair and always kind. Psalm 145 verse 13 says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. God's kingdom is indestructible. It will never end. There are no limits, not of time or of space. And God's authority is good. And, and every Christ follower believes that. But maybe we hear this and maybe we find ourselves thinking especially in this season we're living through. Well, if, if God has a kingdom, then why is the world such a mess? I mean, why this pandemic? Why is our society in so much disarray? I mean, why does conflict among nations never seem to stop? Why do people do such evil things to one another? Racism and violence and abortion and human trafficking and abuse. The list just goes on and on. In other words, the world doesn't look like what we'd think God's kingdom would look like. And maybe you found yourself asking, well, where is this kingdom? Maybe it's personal things. I'm sitting in a room just a few feet from where my father-in-law went home to be with the Lord just a couple weeks ago. So maybe for you, it's death. For some of us, maybe it's cancer. Some in our Southwinds family are right now dealing with cancer, either in their own life or in the life of a family member. Maybe it's the evil and destruction of abandonment or abuse or addiction that you have personally suffered from. You know, for some of you, maybe it causes you all these things to, to groan inside. You ever do that? You open up Facebook or Twitter, you see a headline and you just shut your laptop. You just wanna go back to bed or you turn on the TV and you watch the world and you groan inside. Why is it like this? This is not the way it's supposed to be. This groaning is at the heart of this prayer. And when you groan, your groaning is right. And far from, from telling us to suppress these types of emotion, we are led by the Bible to express those emotions, not, not blindly, not letting our emotions run amok, but, but to point those emotions heavenward to the help that God only can provide. So that groaning is at the heart of this prayer. See, if God's kingdom is ultimate and good, 
then why isn't his rule and his reign enacted everywhere? Why does this world look like the opposite of God's kingdom? Why are things happening in my life that, that don't line up with the good life of God's kingdom? Well, the answer, to put it real simply, is sin. We see this reality from the very beginning in Genesis 1 through 3, when God creates the world. God creates a, a tangible world so his kingdom could be tangible. He creates a garden to extend his rule and reign to be experienced by all his good creation. And then he creates human beings, Adam and Eve, places them in the Garden of Eden. And in a display of trust and beauty and love, God gives them an incredible stewardship over his kingdom. God makes them vice regents of his kingdom. And, and what we see them do with all this power and authority and trust is they rebel against God. They, they turn away from his grace. And humanity has been doing that ever since. The Bible tells us straight up that sin enters the world and God's design is distorted. We see that in everything, whether it's world conflict or personal human evil or broken relationships or sickness or poverty, anything that is evil. It can probably be understood in three ways. All these things, they come from kingdoms in conflict. We see that first in fallen people, individuals. People are in rebellion against God. From broken relationships to bad desires to destructive habits to anger and lust, all those things come from an individual person in rebellion against God and his kingdom. But it's not just people. It's also the place people live. The second thing is the world. It's the world. The systems of this world stand in opposition to God's kingdom. It's the world's kingdom. We see this in culture and in society. It's expressed in individualism and in materialism and, and in the pursuit of self-fulfillment, which ultimately is just idol worship. And this is just the air we all breathe. See, it's not just sinful individual people. The world we live in cultivates and amplifies our individual sinful desires and habits and makes them larger. There's more even than that. The Bible also speaks of a spiritual realm. And the third thing is, is Satan and demons. The Bible speaks of the spiritual influence of darkness and evil in the world. You know, when you look at what we have going against us as disciples of Jesus, who are living for the fame of Christ's name, who are waiting to see his kingdom come, these are the kingdoms of the earth that stand in opposition to God's kingdom. They are in opposition to us, our own fallen tendencies, our sin, the world with all its darkness, and then Satan and his demons, spiritual warfare coming against us, the kingdoms of this earth in rebellion against God. And all this started, it all started because one person, think about this, one person took the Lord's prayer and flipped it upside down saying, my will be done on earth. And actually to this day, that secular prayer gets repeated billions of times by billions of people every day, multiple times a day, over and over and over again, my will be done. If you're a disciple of Christ, that means you've been born again and you've decided to follow Christ in opposition to the world. And, and what this means for you is you are living in this tension of conflicting kingdoms. 
So if you're asking, well, if God is good and his kingdom is great, yet everything around me is falling apart, you're asking why? Well, the answer is that you live in tension. You live in between the conflict of kingdoms. Everything in this world, including your own heart and will, the desires you have that are contrary to God, you're fighting against that, trying to live for God's kingdom. God has you here. God's called you out and set you apart to live for his kingdom. We use a a big word to describe that process, sanctification. And, And it just means that you've been called out of the world. You've been called out of that opposition, out of that hostile way of seeing God. You've been called out to live for something better. And that's the the good life of God's kingdom. Paul said this, 1 Thessalonians, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, you've been separated from that way of life and yet you're still here in this world. You're still living in that tension, called out of it, but present in it. You know, if we think of all the ways that these kingdoms come against us, come against God's kingdom, there are a variety of ways that we are set apart. How do we live against that opposition? How do we fight it? Paul tells us in Romans 12, 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How is a disciple of Christ to make it? not just to survive, but to thrive in a world that is set in opposition to the Lord we serve, we must constantly be renewing our minds. You know, when Jesus prayed to his fathers for his disciples in John 17, he asked God to sanctify them, to call them out, set them apart, make them new. How? In John 17, 17, he prayed, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. See, the way we renew our minds is by being in the word of God. And if you're not reading and absorbing God's word, what hope do you have of making it against that trifecta arrayed against you? You see, it's not enough to do what you're doing right now. Listening to one message from one pastor on one day of the week. We need God's word every day. But it's not just the world Satan and his kingdom oppose us, evil spiritual realms set against us living for Christ. I mean, what do we do about that? Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that our battle is not against people, against flesh and blood. Our battle is against principalities and powers and spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realms. Paul goes on to tell how we must take up the full armor of God. We must engage in spiritual warfare. We must battle and fight. And, and then our flesh opposes us also, our bad habits. And you know, even though we know God and we desire the things of Christ, we sometimes find we cannot overcome some of our habits. We, we say with the apostle Paul, the good I want to do, I don't do. Instead, I do the very things I hate. So we must battle our flesh. Paul says we must train ourselves for godliness. So we use spiritual disciplines to align our flesh to follow God's kingdom. There are so many ways that we fight against these kingdoms that are in conflict with us. But what Jesus is saying here is we pray. We pray. And this is how we pray. We pray your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Praying what Jesus tells us to pray here will shape and prepare us to live in the tension, to live the life God has called us to live. And it will change some things around us too, but it'll change you. It will shape and prepare you in three ways. So praying your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven will first shape our view of God, our view of God. It will give you a different, better, healthier view of who God is. To even begin praying these words, well, it requires that you are aware that God is in control. To put those words on your lips requires an awareness that God has a kingdom and that it is ultimate, a kingdom made without human hands, as it says in Daniel 2.45, a kingdom which is established by God himself and will one day be finished in all its beauty and glory when God calls it to be. Daniel 2 verse 44 says, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. See, we live in the tension, the in-between, in hope of that. And to even pray this prayer is to be aware that is what is coming. So when we pray it, we, we pray out of that, that groaning that things don't look that way. It's like, Lord, I cry out for you to show your power. Come, Lord. I know you're coming in the future, Lord, but Lord, give us a glimpse now. And we allow that conflict in us, that deep-seated sadness over the things we face in this broken world, not to go to waste. Instead, we breathe it out in prayer. As Paul would say in Romans 8, the creation is groaning in pain like childbirth. Why? We're waiting eagerly for redemption. And we don't groan the way a non-believer groans. We groan with hope. Lord, show yourself in this mess. Renew all things and bring beauty to these ashes and restore what's been broken and expand your kingdom. Some of us, we think of the kingdom as simply us getting to heaven and maybe especially right now, you just want to leave this messed up world. You just want to go to a better place. Maybe you have a theology of escapism and and you're just holding on for dear life until Jesus comes back and just burns everything around you. You know, if that's you, this prayer will start to shape your view of that. Second, this prayer will change our view our circumstances. When Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, he's alluding to something. He's implying that God cares about what you're going through. He cares about the down here, not just the up there. He cares not just about the future, but also about the present and everything that the earth involves, every structure, every corporate entity, every relationship, even every inanimate object, everything you can touch and see with your senses, God cares about his creation. He cares about groups of people, about organizations, about neighborhoods, everyone, everywhere. He cares about it all. He doesn't have you here just so you can one day make it to heaven. God cares about this planet because he created it. And your calling in this life as a Christ follower is 
about more than you, more than just you one day getting taken to heaven. Revelation 21 tells us something far different. Heaven, the city of God, will come down to earth. Up there will come down here. Fullness. One day. One day when God's kingdom will be consummated in all its beauty and glory. And so, if God is not going to destroy and be indifferent to down here where we are, but rather he's going to renew and redeem it for his glory. That should change the way we interact today with things and with people. We should care about issues in our world from the big to the small. Why? Because God cares about it. In John chapter 17, verses 14 through 19, Jesus prays about it. He says, I have given them your word, And the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. And sometimes we think, Lord, take me out of here. But that's not what Jesus prays. Listen, he prays, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You hear that? There's a weird tension in that verse that is lovely. You are not of the world. You are a citizen of heaven, but you are here by divine mandate. So you can think of yourself as an ambassador of a better kingdom, representing that kingdom to this fallen, broken kingdom of this world. And the more we pray Jesus' prayer, the more we are mindful that he has sent us into this world to see his will be done, his kingdom come, to see up there come down here. The more we get that. But we've been sent into the world with these words on our lips. We will more and more pray Jesus May your kingdom come, your will be done where I am on earth as it is where you are, Jesus, in heaven. You want to pray this prayer? You can pray it as is, but here's another way that you could pray it. You could try replacing earth, which speaks of the realm where we are. You could try replacing earth in your prayer life with an appropriate realm like, Lord, May your kingdom come, your will be done at my job as it is in heaven. May your will be done, Lord, in my home as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come, Lord, in my neighborhood, in Tracy, Mountain House, or Lathrop, wherever you live. Or Lord, may your will be done at Southwinds, in my school, at my children's school. You see, wherever your life is, you can pray this. Your will be done down here, just like up there. Third and finally, this prayer shapes our view of ourselves. If you dare to pray this prayer, it'll change the way you view yourself. You see, if you try to follow Jesus, there will inevitably come a point where his will conflicts with yours. And if you are able to read the Bible and not be prodded in any way, then 
you are reading it with a very particular lens. For example, if you're married and you never get any arguments or discussions of any kind, I have reason to wonder if you ever talk to each other. You know, whenever I do premarital counseling, one of the things I always tell engaged couples is that fighting is not bad. It just means you're human and it means you have a relationship because conflict is inevitable. What matters is what you do with that conflict. See, if we believe that we are less than perfect and that God is perfect and we want to do life with him, he will conflict with our will. You know, if his name, as we prayed last week, if his name is to be hallowed above all things, which means we believe his name is to be glorified above all other names, including our own, then out of that will flow that we also desire that his will be over any other will, including our own. So I have to ask you, are you prepared to pray that prayer? Are you prepared for this prayer to be answered in your life? Now, we all know the church answer is to say yes. But I just have to share my experiences over 17 years as your pastor and for 35 years total as a, a pastor in Chicagoland or also in rural Northeast Texas. There are some things that never change. On a regular basis, I have watched people who were so excited, so enthusiastic about serving Jesus until his will conflicted with theirs. And at that point, so many times, the reaction I have seen is, well, this just isn't for me. Or they'll say, I'm done with this church. All too often, I've seen people find a reason to be offended, like someone hurt them, someone didn't recognize or thank them. People weren't friendly to me. The music is this, the preaching is that. And I'm not saying those things didn't happen. Hey, at Southwinds, you know, we're very upfront. No perfect people allowed. Sometimes I wanna say, you were warned. But so many times that's not the real problem. That relationship with your Lord that you found so romantic in the honeymoon period of following him, somehow everything changes when God tells you something in his word that you should not be doing. Or when he tells you to start doing something you aren't doing and that's when the relationship gets real. And wouldn't we expect that of a real relationship? If you live in a relationship with anyone and you never have conflict, I have a right to question whether you have a deep relationship at all. You know, when I married Dan, I was saying to her, we are very different, but I trust you. And I expect myself to change for the better because of you. And I expect that there will be things that you want that I don't want and, and I will defer to you. Why? Because I love you. Why, what would it be like I mean, what would it be like if I told my wife or she told me, you know what, I love you as long as we never disagree. I love you, but let's just never argue. That wouldn't be real love because that isn't real life. That isn't true life. And the only way to always get along with someone is just to never be around them, to never talk. And that's not a real relationship. You know, the most fulfilling and rich relationships are always when two people come together and there's conflict. and yet they make it through more and more in love with each other based on a foundation of trust. So here's a question. Do you trust the God you profess to believe in? If you don't, if you only follow him when he does what you think is good, when he never conflicts with your will, then you are not worshiping the God of the Bible. You have created a God in your own likeness. 
The Bible tells us that God's kingdom and God's will will conflict with ours and he will challenge us. And he does that because he loves us. You know, we spoke last week of God being our father, but he's not our buddy who just wants to bless us by giving us whatever we want. Never, you know, never tells us no, never tells us what to do or what not to do. Hebrews 12, 6 tells us that a loving father disciplines his children because he loves them. And when God tells us what is right and true, he tells it because he cares. So are you prepared for this prayer to enter your life? I'm telling you, if you truly pray it, God will enter in and God will conflict with your will and he will do it for your good. But there will be a conflict. And if you are, here's how you can pray. Try replacing earth with me. God, may your kingdom come, your will be done in me as it is in heaven, in my life, in my attitudes, in my dreams, in my anger issues, in the way I spend and give my money. But don't stop there. As you pray, Go ahead and ask, like Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Ask the Lord. Is there anything in my life that is not aligned with your will? If you ask him, he will show you. And then you can pray, not my will, but yours be done. This prayer calls on the God of heaven and earth to move powerfully, but it will also powerfully move you if you truly pray it. And it won't be easy. It will be hard. Why? Because you have a kingdom. You have a will. And by your nature, you want to do what you want to do. You don't even want the God of the universe to move you. Unless you come to a place where you recognize how good God your father truly is. Unless you come to the place where you see how much he loves you, the place you, where you realize, where you realize that when Jesus prayed, not my will, God, but yours be done, he was headed to the cross where he gave up his life for you so that you could be moved out of darkness into his marvelous light, so that your sins could be forgiven even when you never would deserve it, so that you could know life instead of death, so that you could experience joy and hope and peace. You know, for some of you, it'll only happen if you hit rock bottom. And some of you have hit rock bottom and you're still fighting against the rule and reign of God. And I just beg you today, lay down. Lay down your weapons. Surrender to your loving God and serve him and follow him and allow him to rule your life. Your heart is sinful and selfish and it desperately needs a good king to rule over it. Don't you feel that in the deepest part of who you are? Surrender. Follow a better king. Others of you have a great life maybe and you don't see why you need anything else, but one day you'll see that you do and I pray that it's not too late. We have someone called our father who has all power and who doesn't just have power, but who also loves us so much that he stepped into the evil of this world, the suffering of our lives, and he took all that on himself. 
this God sending his son Jesus took on the weight of our sin and our brokenness and our oppression and our death and our sickness and our despair. And he took it on in hopes of freeing us from the bondage to all those things. You'll never believe how Jesus started this great endeavor. In the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what he was facing, taking on the sin of humanity and the wrath of God, you remember, he gets on his knees and he prays, Father, if there is any way you can spare me from drinking this cup, please do it. Yet not my will, but yours be done. The prayer that we are called to engage in, it first fell from the lips of our Savior as he was facing death and sin and the torment of God's wrath, all for God's love. He took it all on himself, the pain of sin and the wrath of God, so that you would know what true freedom and joy and purpose is like. And it is this man, Jesus, who inaugurates the reign of God's kingdom, who makes it possible for people on the outside to come inside. It's this man who will one day usher the kingdom into its full completion on that day that we will see in Revelation 21 that there will be no more crying, no more tears, no more suffering, no more death, no more slavery, no more racism, no more abuse, no more rage, no more conflict between people. And we live today in the tension between those two things, seeing the assurance of what happened at the cross and knowing what God will one day bring into glorious reality. We live in that place of tension. We ask, we pray from a place of groaning, yet let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let up there come down here, please. Lord. And so, Southwinds, together, we pray as God's people. We pray those words that God, through his son, gave to us. And I want to ask, will you join me in praying wherever you are out loud, wherever you are today? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know, it's good to join with you in spirit as we together seek God in these days. And I wanna encourage you again to pray the Lord's Prayer every day this week. And don't just recite the words. Let the Holy Spirit guide you to expand these brief words to speak to the details of your life. And let God bless you as you get to know him better. I pray we have a week full of God's goodness. Will you join us next week as we continue to study how we can live on a prayer, the prayer that our Lord Jesus gave us.